0: Welcome to Dark Horse Matters, the show about people, their passion, and their pursuit toward happiness. I'm Bev Matayoshi, your hostess with the mostess, and my goal of this show is to inspire some fire in you to find your passion and go after it. If you're turning in for the first time, don't forget to subscribe, like, and hit the bell. And if you're returning, thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. Today's guest is a real treat. I'm a huge fan of his. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are killing it in business, but there's something different about this man. He stood out to me. When I first learned about who he was and, you know, everything that he's accomplished, I told myself, "I'm going to meet this man. I'm going to meet him someday." And it's actually happening right now, and it's kind of tripping me out. So, on his entrepreneurship journey, he went from $500,000 in debt and took it to nine figures in income. He is a movie producer and author for the Napoleon Hill Foundation, and he represents and inspires the Asian community with his best-selling book that he wrote called How Rich Asians Think, which is inspired by the entrepreneurship Bible and one of my favorite books, Think and Grow Rich. He speaks all over the world and inspires thousands of people, teaching them how to succeed in business and in life. And on top of that, because of his goodness to humanity, he has also been knighted by the Royal Order. How cool is that? Without further ado, please give a warm welcome to Sir John Shin.
1: Woo! Awesome, excited to be here.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time and so excited to pick your brain about everything and share with my audience about all everything that you've accomplished everything that you had to do to get there i wanted to just kind of share with the audience a little bit of how i found out about you so i was you know in my ment i'm in the financial services industry and i was fairly new and my mentor was trying to encourage me to go and you know invest in myself and learn more so uh, i learned about the next level growth academy with um synergy financial which is a huge financial firm under Dan Charlier, huge guy in the business and everybody learns so much from him and my mentor um you know encouraged me to go and learn from this and to tell you the truth i was being a total slacker i was like oh i have so much going on or whatever and you you were the opening talk for that whole program You're the orientation speech. And to tell you the truth, I I didn't even show up that night. I, you know, watched it on replay. That's how much of a slacker I was that night. But when I watched it, I was so inspired by your your talk. And I actually still have it saved. So whenever I need a pep talk, I go back and listen to it (laughs) over and over again. So, yeah, it's been really cool. And the fact that I'm, you know, sitting here virtually with you is just so, uh, it's such a, it's a very, it's kind of like a dream come true. So thank you so much for doing this.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So I just kind of wanted to ask you before we go into your journey, you know, where are you originally from and where did you grow up? Like, t- Can you tell us a little bit about your family?
1: Yeah, uh, well, both my parents are from Asian descent, <laughs> as you can probably tell, right? And, you know, both of them came from Korea, South Korea very traditional Asian parents. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. Just, you know, they were the ones that said, you know, go to college, get a degree, become a doctor or a lawyer, such a noble profession. And so they thought what better place to really, you know, give our family and our generations to come an opportunity. So they left Korea, came to the United States in 1967. And when they got here, they ended up in the Los Angeles International Airport. They got in a taxi, drove down the street, had no idea where they're headed. But they headed towards an area called East L.A. And so there we were just a few blocks away from what they call the original Tommy's burger uh, here in Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. That's
0: funny. You know, and I remember you saying that your that's yeah. the Rampart District, right? That's right. the Rampart District. My, I lived in L.A. for 15 years. You know, I went to University of Southern California. Oh, uh, my sister lived in that area. So oh I know gosh. exactly what kind of hood that is. And yeah. Tommy's was kind of like a landmark for USC. We actually went there as a tourist attraction when we first when <laughs> I first moved there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very. So I know exactly where you're talking about. Wow.
1: Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I did that and grew up there and then eventually our parents saved money and we moved to a different city called Eagle Rock, um, California. And then from there, I grew up in, uh, then we moved from there to Glendale and that's where I grew up pretty much my whole life. Um, So I grew up in uh, Glendale and I just remember all the time, my parents just constantly asking how my grades were just so that I can actually go into a good university or college. And I kept on saying to my parents, I'm like, why do I have to go to college? College just seems so silly because they said, well, because they make you smarter. And I said, yeah, but I'm taking math classes. And I don't understand why I take math when I have a calculator. Like, why do I have to learn how to add stuff or multiply when I have a calculator that does it for me? And so, you know, it's a very traditional mindset that my parents had. The one thing my mother basically ingrained into my head was that we did not come to this country to screw up this opportunity, right? I mean, just think about it. I think too many people take for granted the opportunities that are right before them, but they don't jump on them. You know, they, they, they're they always looking for the right time or no, this isn't for me or, you know, uh, I never saw myself doing things like this. Well, a lot of times the things that you want to do in life aren't ever thoughts that are things that you ever thought you would have to do, you know? And so I went to college just to appease my parents. I graduated and uh, I went and got a job in corporate America. I hated every single moment of it, Beth. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? And I always ask people, I said, hey, how long has that person been here? It's always been here for 20 years. How about that lady over there? oh, 25, I'm like, man, they must be really miserable because you could just tell by the way you look at certain people and how they carry themselves every day that they were not happy, that they were just there to get a check, just to pay the bills. And you could tell they were not passionate about showing up to work and you could hear the little chatter amongst employees and saying, oh my God, that guy probably hates his job and she hates her job. And all. they were all these fingers pointing at each other. And I thought to myself, I don't know if I want to be that person that I want to be somewhere where I'm unhappy with what I do. And so I said, maybe this corporate America thing isn't for me. And so long story short, my wife Arlene and I, we got in business in 1994. And so we got in business and that we weren't making any money, Bev, but I got to tell you, I felt free. Hmm. You know, I, I, I felt like, um, you know, I, I don't know what price to pay. What, what is the price that you pay for freedom? And you know, people pay with their lives for freedom. And here I was in the greatest country and I finally felt free that I could do what I wanted to do. That's so that's how true. we got into the financial industry. And that uh, has been one of the most magical things that have ever happened to us.
0: Yes. You know, I can totally relate. Like my dad's Japanese. but He was um, born and raised in Hawaii. You know, he didn't speak Japanese, but his parents were from Japan, Okinawa, and um, my mom's Filipino, you know, he met her when he was in the army. But so I'm from Asia. I mean, you know, I know exactly what you're talking My mom would always tell me I would I would tell her I want to be an artist or I want to be a rock star, you know, like that thats was my dreams, you know, and she was just like, oh, I think you should be a pharmacist. Like she wanted me to, me to go to pharmacy school and you know, in turn, I ended up being a dental hygienist. I went to dental hygiene, but, and I love that. I'm passionate about that too, but it's just weird how, you know, they, they have these ideas for you and what you should know. They don't really think about, okay, what are you passionate about? Let's focus on that, you know, so I can totally relate. When you were a kid, did you have any dreams outside of what your parents expected you to do? Did you ever think about what, what Career? Did you like anything totally out of this world, different from what they the view that they had for you?
1: Yes, of course. I I, I think I always wanted to be in the movie industry, right? I always want to be in some sort of uh, a movie, an action movie. I wanted to be an actor my entire life, and you know my parents always said, "Hey, you could do that stuff later in life, but you need to go to college and get a degree." But why? And they said, because if it doesn't work out, you have something to fall back on. Right. And, and I think that that's that kind of programming is an issue for a lot of people that there is a backout plan. There's a backup, a plan B. And so the reason why I think that's that, that mindset is so silly, something for you to fall back on. It's like saying, well, you got a car. Okay. And they go, do you ask somebody, do you have a car? And they said, yeah. And I said, okay, great. What's your backup plan? Do you have a horse? (laughs) Right. I mean, how come you don't have a backup plan for your car? You know? So it's interesting, the mindset when you go, oh, okay, I want to have a backup plan that if this business doesn't work, right. And that they have something else to fall back on. So I've always been one of those people that once I dove into the business and especially, let's say, the financial industry, Mm -hmm. that once I got into that space, that was it. I was all in. There was no plan B like this had to work, you know, and that's one of the things that most people can't do is because they can't make firm decisions. So when I when I've said this to people before that if you look at the word decide, Okay, the word dead, D-E, comes from the root word of to do, the Latin root word to do. And the word side means to kill or to die. That's why we have pesticide, homicide, suicide. It means to kill. So when you look at the word decide, it means either do or die. And so if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to go start a YouTube channel. You're going to go and do a podcast. It is not going to be easy in the beginning. You may not see the results right that you want to see in the very beginning, but you just got to stick with it and there is no other thing. You, you, if you're going to be a podcaster or YouTuber, you just do it until you become an iconic podcaster or a YouTuber. The problem with social media today, Bev, is that when you look at television or anything else, magazine articles... They, they only illustrate the people who have crushed it, right? And so when social media, all we look at as successful people, we think that's the norm. We think that everybody can do, uh, become a successful entrepreneur or business person or an actor or celebrity, but it's not as easy as everybody thinks it to be, you know? And so I tell people, be careful what, you know, when you watch stuff on social media or if you're watching, you know, TV or Hollywood or That a lot of these people, you're only looking at the one percenters of the one percenters. So you got to pay the price. There is a, And by the way, you know, I hear a lot of people say, yeah, but I want to I make enough money so I have residual income, so I don't have to do anything later in life. There is no such thing. There there is no I, I I tell show me one person that you know that does nothing, nothing and continues to get paid. Okay, because if it does, it ain't gonna last very long. And they said, yeah, but that's why I'm in multi-level marketing, I'm in network marketing, because I don't have to do anything. Well, that is the biggest BS. I've ever heard. Now, when people say BS, like, oh my God, John Swearing. No, no. The word BS or the letters BS is an acronym that stands for your belief system. Okay. You actually believe, not you per se, but others out there that can hear us right now, or will be watching this in the future. Their belief system is that they can work for two, three years and then stop working and then ignore their business and expect that money to continue to, to last for the rest of their life. There is no such thing. Even in network marketing, you know, you got to do follow-up calls. You got to call your associates and your downlines and whoever. There's constant, you're going to be doing something. There is no such thing as not working and continue to make residual income.
0: You know, that's very interesting way to look at it. Um, Because, you know, a lot of people don't think about that. But like you think about the people who have succeeded though, and everything that they had to do to get to that point. Why would they want to not do anything? There, I feel like when people are at that level of success, there's no way they can be happy doing absolutely nothing. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Like I tried, you know, I always wanted to know what it felt like to just be a lazy bum and just lay in my bed after I woke up. I couldn't do it, even this morning, right? Um, Last night, we had an awesome party here at my house, actually. We had about 70 people at my house, and it was an incredible event. And we were exhausted leading up to it. And I said, you know, when we were going to bed, I said, man, I'm just going to sleep in all day. And guess what? My body just woke up, right, at the normal time, like I do every other day, because that's just the way I'm programmed. And I I sat in bed. I said, wait, I just opened my eyes. Thank the Heavenly Father that I got another chance today. But I try to sit there and just hang out in bed, and I couldn't do it, Beth. It's hard to be lazy because, as you just alluded to, is you're programmed that way. You know, that's why I always tell people: I said most people are wired for success, but they're programmed to fail.
0: Uh, yeah, I like that. That's so true. Um, you know, I was thinking about you and your everything that you have done to become successful have you always and you're in the financial industry have you always had a good relationship with money like your whole life or is that something that you really had to learn because a lot of people don't they're brainwashed you know like you don't you have there's belief system about money and how it works but until you sit with someone and actually learn about it you really don't know anything because they don't teach this stuff in school so Hmm. did you ever what kind of relationship did you have with money prior to joining the financial services
1: so both my parents worked um you know my dad was an x-ray tech my mom was a nurse and they realized very quickly that even being a nurse and an x-ray being in that medical industry that they weren't going to be rich so they went and got into a lot of different businesses they bought a liquor store you know that traditional asian you know liquor store they started the dry cleaners they had the delis And I remember my mother one day said, oh, we made this much today, right? Or this month we made this much money. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot. And I remember my parents actually saying to me, "Uh, yeah, but half of it's going to go to the government. And, you know, maybe at that time it could have been a little bit of an exaggeration. But if we look today, it, it really isn't that big of a uh, a, a, an exaggeration because the federal tax rates are at 40%. If you live in California or New York, you're 13, 13 to 15%. There's half your money going to the government in the form of taxes. And so I was thinking there has to be a way to mitigate those taxes that we pay for. And so why work that hard? So we're going to work that hard. If I made a hundred grand, let's just say, you know, just using easier numbers or let's just use a million dollars a year in income. I made a million dollars a year and I paid 50%. That's 500 grand in taxes. Look how hard I worked to generate that money. What if I spent a little bit of my time to learn how to mitigate the other 500,000, if I can keep that by just educating myself a little bit about money and taxes? So I did. So when I go and I, you know, when I wrote my book and you alluded to it earlier, How Rich Asians Think, I went and interviewed a lot of successful people and you know, whether they were actors, musicians, celebrities, models, whatever, you know, it was really interesting, Bev, is that they were all financially savvy to some level. Now I'm not saying they were experts, but they were pretty financially savvy like Will Smith. Most people think like Will Smith, like, Oh, that guy's just a rapper. He's just an actor. What does he know? He's just a Hollywood icon. That guy is super, super smart when it comes to money and business. So I tell people, you got to go and learn a little bit about that stuff, you know, and educate yourself. Not saying you got to be an expert, but you got to go and learn it to some level, which is what I did. You know, I actually did. I took it a step further, though. I wanted to know it so intimately that I decided to go to law school to learn federal income tax and tax law, you know, so.
0: Yeah. I, growing up, my dad, I think I remember seeing the book, Think and Grow Rich in his bookcase, but I never thought of anything of it, you know, growing Mm -hmm. up. He -hmm. was always really good with saving. I used to call him cheap, actually, behind his back, you know, but, you know, um, he never, but we never learned that from my parents. My parents were actually really good with saving and being reasonable around money, but Mm I just never learned that skill. It was for me, saving meant that you were going to spend it, you know. So I behaved badly once I cut loose and went off on my own. <laughs> you know, I learned the hard way and being in financial services actually has been the best thing that ever happened to me because it's so educational and what the best place to learn about it is in in the actual field, I think. Amazing. No, no. Amazing eye openers.
1: Yeah. I remember getting my first check in corporate America. You know, I was so excited. And uh, at that time I was actually making 30 grand a year. That was my starting pack. And at 30 grand, you make $2,500 a month. And I remember getting my first check and I was expecting $2,500 and it was a lot less than $2,500. But in our culture, or at least, you know, you know, it's interesting, you know, they say that uh, you're supposed to take your very first paycheck and give it to your parents as a token of respect and appreciation. And so uh, I've talked to my other fellow Asian friends, and many of them said never heard of that one before. So I think it was just in my family. (laughs) 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 So I came home to give my father, my mother, my very first check. And as I was handing it over, I asked my dad, I said, dad, I said, I thought it was going to be 2,500, but they take so many of these little things out of my checks You know, it said UD and FICA and all. And I I said, where does this all go? And he said, oh, FICA. And he's, you know, he's living in this country for, what, 60 years now. And he still has an accent. And this (laughs) is what he said to me. He goes, he goes, I go, Dad, what does FICA, F-I-C-A, stand for? And you know what he says to me? He goes, oh, that is a good question. FICA stands for uh, payful so-so security. I said, what did you just say, dad? And he goes, it's a uh, payful so-so security. And Asians have a hard time rolling that L. Okay. <laughs> so he kept on saying so-so security versus social security. And guess what? It is a little so-so right now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. And and uh, I said, "Well, but Dad, th- 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 what does FICA stand for? I understand now it pays or funds Social Security, but what does it stand for?" And he says, "It stands for funds I cannot access." <laughs> 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 but there's a lot of validity to that too, right? Because we're, you know, we're, a lot of us right now may not have access to that money in the future.
0: Yeah, that is so funny. I love your you know, the way you you really painted a picture, hearing the sound of your, I could hear your, your dad's voice. (laughs) My mom (laughs) spoke with a Filipino accent. So, (laughs) you know, I, I hear her voice all the time in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you went from being $500,000 in debt, you know, prior to making your millions. So what was, what was it like at your brokest level? Like what, was that, have you ever had one of those moments where you're just like scrummaging through the couch cushions, going to Coinstar? I don't know, like, what was your experience? Like, have you ever had experiences like that?
1: Well, yeah, definitely. You know, the thing is, I could have probably just went to my parents and my parents are so loving, so caring that they would have said, oh, if you need money, let us stop, okay? But it was just my pride, my ego, where I couldn't go to them and say, Mom, dad, can I have X dollar amount, you know? So I, they never really knew. But yes, we, when I say we, Arlene and I were so broke that we couldn't even pay attention. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that's how broke we were. Okay. Uh, let me just tell you, we got married August 13th. Okay. 1994. That was when we got married. August 13th, 1994. So you go October, August, September, October, and November comes around. We're now about to have our very first Thanksgiving as a married couple, and you know you would think, oh, big fat turkey and stuffing and cranberries and green bean casseroles or whatever. Man, I re- I was like sitting there thinking to myself, where are we going to get the money to have a Thanksgiving feast? And I remember coming home uh, late at night and I walked in and I didn't see my wife. So I was like, where is she? So I went into the bedroom, didn't see her. And I go into the closet and I see the light on, I walk in there and there she was on the floor. And you know what she was doing? She was rolling up coins. I said, what are you doing? And she says, she says, we're going to have our very first Thanksgiving feast, but we can't afford it. So I scrounged up all the coins to roll it up so that I can go to the bank, exchange the coins for some bills so I can actually give bills at the grocery store rather than than handing over rolls of coins. And she was very emotional. She was crying. And I thought to myself, what kind of a man am I that my wife is rolling coins so that we can celebrate our first Thanksgiving together? And, I, and that, that hit me so hard, Bab. I said, from this moment on, never again, never while I'm alive, will my wife have to roll coins for us to celebrate a holiday season. Wow. So every year when Thanksgiving comes, I am grateful. <laughs> that we are in a position and we overindulge now. You know what I mean? We over, we have too many pies and cakes. And I mean, it's almost like, you know, embarrassing how much food we, uh, we make, but it's because I just never want to be in that situation ever, ever again.
0: Yeah. That I can see how that would just hit you hard. I mean, like Thanksgiving is like one of the most, I don't it's always been one of my favorite holidays growing up and there was always an abundance of food but I have experienced those college years you know <laughs> Thanksgiving was like and it's funny because I had the the house where all the strays would come I mean we yeah. cut everything with the same bread knife <laughs> you know but everyone came to our house even though we didn't have much you know we it, it was kind of like the place where the strays came to have Thanksgiving but we would make the best of it But yeah, I can see like, I mean, I've been through those moments too, where it was like peanut butter sandwiches and, you know, Simon, you know, the top ramen, Simon's, you know, that was like our everyday meals, you know, never again, Uh, never again. Was that like your breakthrough? Like what, what, you know, people always talk about finding your why, you know, what gives you that drive to really, really make it happen and just create that momentum for success. Like, I know that's probably part of it, but what was your ultimate why that made you drive forward?
1: You know, um, for me, I would say it wasn't my kids because I didn't have any kids. Right. But I would say that it was for my parents. And so one of the things is I, I didn't want my parents and a lot of our family members have you know, most people in America we're, were we're you know, they they've never seen a third world country, they haven't seen the struggles in other countries. Have, most people in America have never seen war, you know, they might have seen it on TV or heard about it. But you know, when your parents are telling you how many times you've been, you know, under siege by an enemy and the life that you you couldn't even have your own name. They made you even change your own names. You know, you you couldn't even. Um, go out there freely. And that's why I'm so, I just wish everybody really understood the freedom that they have in this country that we live in. And so I did not want my parents to die. All they saw was just horrifying moments their entire life, you know? And so my main goal was to make sure that they were able to witness that them making the, 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 the risk, taking the risk, And making the sacrifice to come to the United States, right? And seizing every opportunity that came their way. And they worked their fanny off for my sister and I to basically have the things that we have today. And I didn't want it to be just, you know, normal, average, ordinary. I wanted them to see, you know, us kind of be, uh, you know, ultra successful. And so, you know, I, I was talking to my parents last night. And my sister, by the way, is the first Asian and the first woman to become uh, the dean at Pepperdine University.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. So she's the first woman. So all the women went crazy when they found out a woman finally became a dean at the university. And then the Asian community just erupted when they've heard that it was an Asian woman as well. So she kind of hit, you know, two different ethnicities or cultures or demographics that really the university has never had. So I said to my parents, in fact, it was this last night I, and my mom had called and and I was talking to her on FaceTime. And I said, man, you you, you have to be so proud, you and dad, that you guys both raised uh, incredible children. You guys have been such wonderful role models. Um, and so, yeah. And, and the one thing I think that... Um, you know, I don't think the school system will fix our, our younger generation today. OK, people are like relying on so dependent on our educational system. It's not the teacher's job to raise their children. It's the parent's job to do that. It's the parent's job to show their children the love, the the support. and And I think that's exactly what my parents did for me. You know, my mom and my dad have been incredible role models. So I think I have a bit of an advantage over other people right now because, you know, my mom would always like if she never said if I got a C or a D on a report card or a term paper or something, they never said, oh, you're so stupid Look at you, you pathetic little crap. You know, I mean, they never said they said, oh, you got to see. You know what that means? You could you, you could get a B now. You're that much closer to get a B. And then if I got a B, there, like, yo, you're that much closer to an A. Just a little bit more. You have to do just a little bit more. And they constantly dangled the credit, no, not the carrot, the credit, the carrot in front of me. And, and then they constantly EPR'd my sister and I, right? And and EPR for people that are going, what's EPR? Well. They say that if someone is, is suffering, you know, because they can't breathe, you know, or the heart's not wearing, they need CPR, right? CPR. Well, we can't go around and give mouth to mouth to everybody that needs help. Okay. But we can give them EPR. And EPR is to encourage people every day, every second, every minute. Uh, the letter P stands for praise. You know, you praise people every day. And then the letter R stands for recognition, uh, to recognize people every single day. And I was talking to somebody yesterday as well, coincidentally, and they said that one of their employees was gonna be retiring um, after 30 years of service, 30 years of service, they committed to an institution for 30 years. And they said, uh, what, what, what are we gonna do for this person? So they went all the way up to the corporate ladder and said, hey, listen, do you guys have a budget for people that are retiring after 30 years or 35 years or 40 years? And he said, no, we don't, but we can give them a gift card for 50 bucks. And they said, a gift card to where? And they said, get them a gift card from Panera Bread.
0: That's horrible. And,
1: and, I, and I thought to myself, as I'm listening to this, this last night, right? I, kid you not, I wish I would have recorded this conversation. Can you imagine somebody committing and sacrificing their life to an organization for 30 years and after 30 years getting a $50 gift card? I mean, and that's wow. because they,
0: they did away with pensions these days. Exactly, <laughs>
1: right? You know, there's no budget for those people. And that's what I mean is to just treat people better and treat people right. You know, I see a lot of people right now, if you drive around, you know, today, here we are in the year 2021. So if someone ever sees this video 30 years from today, they're going to know the year 2021 is the year, uh, the second year of a pandemic. Okay. And we see help wanted signs everywhere, everywhere there's, there's help wanted signs and they're calling this the great, this era, the great Resignation. Not the great depression. It's the great resignation because everybody's so resigning. And when people say, well, why are you resigning? One of the top three reasons of why people are, are resigning. Number one reason, underappreciated. Underappreciated. I mean, seriously, how hard is it and how expensive is it to encourage people, praise and recognize people daily? If you just did that, you would keep your people from quitting. That was number one reason. Okay. Uh, number uh, two was a hostile work environment. Okay. So it's just the environment wasn't very friendly, it wasn't fun. People want to wake up and go and hang out and have fun while they're actually working, right? And get this um, the top three was not even money. So a lot of pit corporations think it's just money, 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 but it wasn't even money. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people it's so important that you treat your employees right, treat your people right, treat your staff right. And you'd be surprised how much more they'd be, they'd be willing to work for you and, uh, and do things that uh, you don't even ask them to do, you know? Right. But anyway, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but it was just interesting. It was just talking about somebody EPR, you know somebody after 30 years of getting a 50 panera bread gift card was just almost offensive
0: no i love that epr that that is really powerful and you think about it like you know in the workplace you know that's like the that's like what creates culture you know like that's what people look for if they they want a job you know and that's what makes a, a place stand out the, the the businesses that strive have that you know So I really appreciate that By the way,
1: before I forget, Bev, number three was uh, no vision for the department or goal or the company.
0: Yeah, shared vision. That is very, very, very important. Like it's the most important thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow, that's that's very valuable. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, John, I wanted to now kind of talk about, you know, how you got into the movie industry. Like how did you become like... That is just how do you, you go become a producer like that? I mean, did that is that something you always wanted to do? I know you want to be an actor, but how did that transition happen? Like, where did that dream start?
1: Great question. So um, Arlene and I were actually sitting in the kitchen one morning and we said to ourselves, I wish we could get our kids to rethink and Grow Rich. And she said, yeah, good luck, well, you know, because and it's not because they're dumb or ignorant, right? It's because the children are the younger generation today have so many more resources than what we had in the 70s and 80s. Right. You know, so remember, in the 70s and 80s, you you went to work, you went to school, you came home. And when it was six o'clock, seven o'clock, that was it. Like, I mean, there was nothing else that you actually got to go home and rest right? And turn on the TV, okay, and read a book or, or read a book, right? That was it. Or something called the newspaper, if anybody even knows what those things are, right? It was a newspaper. Today, this younger generation now, can they have access to YouTube. They got great uh, podcast shows they can go to like yours. They can go and listen to audios and things like that. And I, so I said, yeah, but I really wish they would read the book, and she says, they're not going to read a book. And I said, you know, it's, it would have been better if they would have had a movie based on this book. And so I'm so Arlene says, well, I'm sure someone's made a movie out of it. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to see if I can order one. So I went on to Amazon and didn't find one. Then I went to Google, did a search, couldn't find one. And then I thought, maybe there isn't one. You know, I went into YouTube and looked for a movie, couldn't find one. So I said, Arlene, I don't think there's a movie. And she says, what? I'm like, yeah, there's no movie on it. I'm like, how can that be? The number one sold book in America, non-religious book, okay? The number one sold book, 200 million copies, right? And there's only three other books that have crossed over 100 million, which is Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, and the Twilight Saga. But no other book has crossed over 100 million. And I thought, let's go get the rights, So We call up the Napoleon Hill Foundation, our team, and we actually got the rights in 2015 to make a movie. Now, never done a movie in our life, so what do we got to do? Got to recruit some people, and so we got directors and uh, um, writers, and we got costume people, artists, editors, special effects, all these different people, got them on our team. We went to full production 2016 and 2017, And then the movie came out, we did a theatrical release with AMC and Regal in 2018. And then uh, we went to the digital platforms in 2019. And then 2020, it went uh, retail with Walmart, and just just went crazy. And it's still selling today, here we are 2021. Uh, It's still blowing up right now, you know? um, Record, record sales right now. So we're very, very blessed. But I'm also excited that people are actually reading and the book now that they saw the movie, now they're actually going to read the movie. Yeah, or read the book. Yeah, there you go. That's right, <laughs> two best books right there. That's right.
0: Yes, I love that book. It's something I hold with me all the time. I always reference it and every single time I read it, it's something new I find in there, something I highlight that's new. Um, it's just such a great book and it's such a really amazing resource that is timeless. It will mm-hmm. always be relevant to whatever time, even years from now, it will still be relevant. And I think that's right. what why it's so brilliant. So that is so cool. You just thought, oh, there's no movie. Let's make a movie. And then it happens. Like <laughs> that is truly inspiring. I love that. So yeah,
1: and, you know, and, and one of the things I said to everybody is to is to ask without what. Fear. fear that's right <laughs> and i remember when you reached out to me you actually said hey john one of my takeaways after listening to you speak was to ask without fear and so here i am i'm asking you to see if you'd be on my podcast and what did i say I said said it yes. yeah of course
0: <laughs> i love that that's i just you know that is so powerful and it works it totally that's works right. it's a dream giver just asking without fear i love it so um With your book, that's another question I wanted to ask you. Like you made the movie. Now you have this book that you're very inspiring. A lot of people out there. What, I mean, what inspired that project?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. So when the movie came out, a lot of uh, organizations asked if somebody from our team would come out and speak about the movie and if we would show it at their event. So we said, yeah, absolutely. Well, nobody on our team likes to do public speaking. So everybody said, John, you go, you go. And I said, all right, you know, and so I went to speak. And one of the events I went to had about 5,000 people in the audience. I went up and did my talk. I got off the stage. And as I was walking off the stage and walking to the side of the room so I can, you know, exit the room, I got mobbed in a good way with people that wanted selfies and autographs and this and that. Was so honored that people loved my, 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 my talk or my, 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 uh, speech, whatever you want to talk about in my message. And people started saying, John, what's the name of your book? You never mentioned the name of your book. And I said, Oh, my book. And they said, <laughs> yes. And I said, Oh yeah. I said, tell you what, give me your business card or your email. And I'll send you a digital copy. And they're like, oh, my God, here. And I walked literally in my suit pockets. They were my jacket, my pants. I probably had 500 business cards and emails. And so I took those and I came home and I pulled them out, put them on the table. And my wife says, so how'd it go? And I said, it was amazing. And she says, so what's next? And I said, I need to write a book. (laughs) <laughs> she goes what I go I gotta write a book she's like why and I said you all these business cards she's like yeah and I said I told them I'd send them a copy of my book and she says but you don't have one I said I know I don't want to be a liar so I want to I gotta write a book she's like you're crazy and so that's how it started you yes. know and
0: that is freaking amazing, You're crazy, yes, I, I, crazy. Yes, you are in a good way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy rich Asians, you know. Um, so I went on Amazon and Google and started doing some research and, uh, like, what do I write about? You know, what's the story? And then I thought, and as I was doing that, I realized there was a thinking grow rich black choice. There's a thinking grow rich Latino choice. There's a thinking grow rich for women. I'm like, oh, these are awesome, you know? And I bought a copy of each one of those. And then I typed in Think and Grow Rich Asian. And nothing came up. So I typed in Think and Grow Rich Oriental. And then I thought I typed in Think and Grow Rich Asian Pacific, you know, like, and nothing popped up. And I'm like, come on. And then I called the Napoleon Hill Foundation again. I said, hey, do you guys have, I know you guys have a black, Latino, and a women. Do you guys have an Asian version of it? And they're like, no, John. And I'm like, what? I said, what do you, what, why not? And I said, we just haven't found the right author. And I said, well, what are you guys waiting for? What are you looking for? And they said, well, we're looking for somebody, you know, and they kind of go down the list. And I said, ah, I said, I only know. Now I know why I don't have anybody, but I think if there's only one person that meets that profile. And they said, who do you think that would be? And I said, me, I'm your guy. And Don Green, who is the uh, executive uh, director and the chairman of the board said, John, you would be marvelous. We would love to have a partnership with you and so, yeah, so we wrote the book with the Napoleon Hill Foundation.
0: That is so cool. Did Were you like directly involved with choosing who you interviewed for the book?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, I did all that. In fact, the only thing they really did was they actually proofread it. Um, and then they made a few changes on, you know, some of the language uh, because all I was doing was I, I uh, there was a couple of things where I said, oh, like, um, I was quoting people and they said, oh, shit, you know, S-H-I-T. And they said, oh, can we change that to poop? You know, Uh, so like they they didn't like some of the language that I chose. So they kind of edited those things out. But in terms of the main content and the the structure of the book, um, that was all us or me.
0: Very cool. Um, So the people that you interviewed. Like, did you just had the team reach out to them or you reached out? How did you get them to say yes? Like people, you interviewed some really big people on there, like Keanu Reeves and, you know, Lucy Lou. like that is just, and uh, Steve Ioki, love that guy. Yeah. How did you get them to say yes? The same way you asked me. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that is so amazing to me.
1: You know, here, here's what I thought to myself. I said, you know, this should be an honor for them to be in the book too. Right. Because there's so many successful stories, so many amazing people out there, but you can only have so many people in your book. So to be asked, they should be uh, honored. I think they should, you know, feel like it's, it was a privilege to be in such an iconic book. And so, you know, just about everybody. Now, once the book came out, a lot of people can't call and said, well, what about me? You know, I've got a great story. Can you, are you gonna do a second book? You know, that kind of stuff. And so I am considering doing a second series on it, you know? So
0: oh, I'm excited. I'm gonna stay tuned so I can make sure I I read that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, cool. well, that's great. Thanks.
0: So you've built a really huge financial firm, and you're a movie producer, best-selling author. These goals, like now that you've achieved all of these big things like what's the next big thing like besides this book anything else big projects that you're working on because i know there's a ton you have all these like what is the nonprofit organizations and you have a lot of charities that you work on like is there anything um that you want to share that you're working on now
1: you know here's where i'm at now i i feel that i you know i've been so blessed so blessed to be where I am in an early part of my life. You know, I don't want to be like, I didn't want to be a multimillionaire, you know, when I was 80, you know what I mean? I wanted to be rich and wealthy to build the financial fortress around our family early in my career while young. And that way, once I've taken care of my family, then I can go off and help others. You know, there's not, a lot of people didn't have mothers like I did, didn't have fathers like I did didn't have a wonderful family like I did and a wonderful upbringing. And that's what I want to do is to add that value to other people who didn't have those things. And so at the end of the day, it's about providing hope H O P E hope, which is in my opinion, another acronym H O P E, which is helping one person every day. So if this podcast here that you and I are doing could just reach, you know, millions of people but if we can just impact one person a day with this podcast show then we have been a successful podcast today
0: i agree uh, it's it's all about impacting people and i love social media youtube and everything that's like one of the things i love about it is that you it's right at your fingertips you know sometimes it's overkill if you're not intentional with what you put in your mind you know but when you find that you can get so much value through things like this and I I just love that and I thank you for being a part of my show because it's definitely adding a lot of value to our audience today so thank you so much.
1: Um,
0: But that's one of the things that I value about my vision for success in the future, I I would love to have financial freedom for one reason only and I -hmm. don't know if I've always believed this just because my whole relationship with money before was so wrong you know (laughs) i learned like everything backwards but now like i the reason why i want freedom is because i want to help more people i want that freedom to be able to just give generously you know to whatever cause i want to pursue you know helping so i think that is just so powerful and a lot of people have that you know they don't really understand that money has that power you know it's not about all the things that you can get or have or you know experience even, but like, if you can help other people with, with that kind of wealth, that is just, I that's truly what brings fulfillment in life, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just have everybody just at, at this age, as we're, you know, going into a new year, 2022, um, just a couple thoughts here. Number one, I would tell people is to make sure that they just insulate their brain, their mind, and their thoughts from all the negativity and all the toxic stuff that the media is constantly sharing every second of the day, okay? Um, Because you got to be careful what you allow into your mind. And the second thing is to follow their internal GPS, right? Just like if I want to drive from here to, I don't know, wherever I want to go, I need to go and program and have something, a GPS system to help me navigate to where I want to go. So when I look at the word or the letters again, GPS, the letter G is really important for people to know is what are their goals? OK, what is it? What do they need to get done? What is it that they want? You know, earlier we were talking about money and I don't think that most people want money, but they want what money can get you right? So, if you go to Home Depot, you buy a drill. You don't buy a drill you're like, oh, I just want a drill. You want the drill to get a hole or whatever you're trying to accomplish with the drill. So, what are your goals? Not just to make money, but what else is it? So, it's so important that you item to list those down. The letter P, Bev, uh, stands for your plans. And you've heard people say that people don't plan to fail, but they fail to plan. So what are their plans? And meaning how will they get this, how will they achieve their goals? Okay. How are they gonna get it done? And then finally, the letter S stands for schedule. When are you gonna get it done? When? By when date. That's right. What is that date and get it done and have a deadline for yourself. Because once you create that deadline, what happens is it creates a sense of urgency. And when you have a sense of urgency, it creates momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, you know we, it was amazing. We, we had a party here at our house last, last night, literally like last night. And the things that we had to do to get done so that we can prepare by putting up all the Christmas lights and, you know, get everything ready in the chairs and the tables. And oh, my God. And I, I didn't know if we were going to get it be able to pull it off in such a short period of time. But guess what? When there is a deadline and you know your guests are going to be there at six o'clock, people didn't eat. Everybody was working like there was no tomorrow. And the adrenaline that we all had, (laughs) does that make sense? Like, we ain't got time to eat. Does that make sense? Like, some people didn't even go to the bathroom. You know, they had to get the job done. And I got to tell you, people walked away last night um, saying it was literally one of the best parties they've ever been to. You know, so... That's what happens when you have goals, you've got a plan and you schedule make that the decision date. to get, schedule that date, so.
0: I love your acronyms. It makes it stick in your mind like forever. You know what I mean? Like that yes. is such a powerful learning tool. Thank you so much for that. Sure. Uh, before we end the interview, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about your title. How did you become a Knight? I just find that very random, but very cool at the same time. Like. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did that happen?
1: It's a great story. Well, first of all, it's, it's crazy because both Arlene and I, I mean, she's always into the like princess movies. She watches princess diaries, you know, and uh, the movie. And we've always been into that stuff. We love chivalry. We love all that, you know, the history behind that. And when we travel around the world, one of the things that Arlene and I do is we go out of our way to go and see castles right and 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 palaces and places, just because we want to know like what was it like i mean you know the, the imagination like king louis the 14th like just you know we, we've always been interested in that stuff and we always thought to ourselves you know what we're two koreans man how, how are we ever going to get knighted and be a prince or a princess and so we're like it's not going to happen you know we're, we we grew up as peasants you know and so uh it's interesting because we started doing all this nonprofit work around the world. And so we started building child prosperity centers, which is a big fancy word for orphanages. Um, Arlene wanted to build health clinics so that women can give birth uh, to their babies and, and have the right equipment and the proper environments and places like that. So there, those, those are all things that we wanted to do. And so we started doing this all over the world. And, you know, we're not looking for recognition. It wasn't like we needed the UN to like see what we were doing. But it rolled up all the way to the royal family um, of Cappadocia in Spain. And they basically came back and said, you know, uh, who, find out who these people are. And then we got a call. I was actually driving one day, um, one night. I was actually on my way to the Cheesecake Factory to meet some people for dinner And my phone rang and it said unknown, but I thought, yeah, I'm going to pick it up anyway. And sure enough, it was the Duke of Aswan. And he basically said, uh, he introduced himself and he said, listen, uh, based on all the merits, all the things that you and your wife have done, we would like to knight you into the royal order of Constantine the Great and St. Helen. And I said, uh is this for real like I I, for a moment for about five minutes I thought I was being pumped and I thought it was a joke and this and that and literally two months later we were getting knighted and that was it I mean it was one of those surreal moments so it was pretty incredible wonderful magical experience
0: wow very cool Uh, I never met a knight before so this is (laughs) a very first experience for me very cool story I love it so, yeah, we're not
1: driving, we're not riding around our white horses like the old days with armor, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, we're, we are out there like knights were in the old days. They would go out there and help the, the people who didn't have, you know, there were protectors of the realm and that's, uh, what we want to do today. We want to go out there and help people and protect people and, and, uh, get them to where they want to go.
0: The modern day knighthood at the, the that's round right. table. That's very that's cool. Right. So I just want to thank you so much for bringing so much value in this short time. I wish that we could talk longer, um, you know, we are all good things must come to an end, but it hopefully it won't be the end of this relationship that we just started right now. Cause you are such a huge inspiration to me. And I hope, you know, to only stay connected with you so you can inspire each other more, you know, media like this, very powerful stuff. So thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, John, for, for doing this. I really appreciate you. And sure, absolutely.
1: I it was, it was, had a lot of fun.
0: Thank you, everybody, for joining us in Dark Horse Matters, the show about people, their passion, and their pursuit toward happiness. Like and subscribe. Hit the notification bell. And so that you can know every time a new story is posted. So until next time, y'all, be passionate.